0: This is Linda Cohn from ESPN, and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter.
1: The ML Sports Platter, back with you. Download, subscribe, leave feedback, and a five-star review. We are brought to you by our good friends at Stanley Law Offices, Welch & Company Jewelers, Ken's Auto Detailing, and Brian Comboy of Mass Mutual New York State. Go with Brian today for tax efficient retirement plans. You might be retiring. You might have a youngster going to college. He's got the plan and the fit for you. Head on over to advisors.massmutual.com and check him out on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Brian Comboy of Mass Mutual New York State is a proud ML Sports Platter sponsor. And also, a tip of the cap, thank you uh, to the Swan and Whitaker families as well as Camilla's Golf Club for their support. Of the platform as well. I am so delighted to bring on to the program uh, one of the best in the business, a senior writer at The Athletic, national college basketball insider, reporter, uh, and, uh, and writer. And she's an author as well of a brand new book that is unbelievable. It's called The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential League in College Basketball History. And frankly, Dana O'Neill When uh, you came out with this book, I was so excited because, obviously, I grew up on this stuff. The Big East, there was nothing like it. Dana O'Neill, congratulations on the book. And you can follow Dana on Twitter as well, at Dana O'Neill Writer. That's at Dana O'Neill Writer. How are you, Dana? Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun to write, as you can imagine.
1: I can imagine. This is the stuff (laughs) that I grew up on in Central New York, of course. All the big names, the coaches, the players, the TV deal. Was there one moment, though... That made the Big East the Big East. When, when did it truly arrive, in your opinion?
0: Yeah, you know, I think I've been asked that a lot, and I feel like there's a couple of p- pivotal moments. But I, I think, in terms of arrival, right, like just national consciousness, I, you, you got to look at some of those early, those Syracuse Georgetown battles, right? When Georgetown was so good. I mean, you can start with the one at Manly Field House, but you can extend it to you know the Michael Graham game, game and all of that when they were so good in George Ch- George Johnson's national power, everyone hated them, but yet so often within their own league, 1985 and the national championship, of course, they're getting beat up by their own teams. And to me, that just sent notice like, okay, this, this thing is for real. It's deep. It's good. Um, it, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a menace is really what it was.
1: So one of the things that I always find fascinating when people write about the greatest of something or whatever the case may be mm. is, is why the other things aren't the greatest. Meaning the ACC was also an unbelievable conference during that time. But your title says the big East inside the most entertaining and influential conference and in co- conference in college basketball history. Why did the big East have a leg up, I guess on the main challenger in the ACC in terms of what your title is telling us?
0: I think the, the big East benefited really honestly from great timing. They, came of age, you know, when Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, Pearl Washington came of age. And they also came of age with ESPN when this crazy idea of, a, of an all-sports network going cross-country put games everywhere. The ACC, you're right, it was terrific and it was really good, but there's two things about the ACC. It was pretty top-heavy um, and, you know, the, the the name recognitions were, you know, related to the, the name brand programs, whereas the Big East, as it came along, Everybody got a turn, but more so the difference to me was the Big East, mostly, you know, largely because of the TV deal and, you know, the garden and and the attention there, it was national. And it's hard to wrap your head around that now because every game is on TV, but at the time that wasn't the case. And, you know, Mike Hopkins, you know, your former associate head coach. Told a story about growing up in California and like pedaling home from school as fast as he could to make sure he didn't miss a big Monday game. Mm-hmm. Jim Beheim talked about walking through the airport and people asking him questions. That wasn't going to happen in other leagues, you know, at the time. But but then it worked so well for the Big East. Everyone kind of stole a page from that.
1: Yeah, I remember Beheim one time telling the story. I think it was actually in the thirty for thirty, um, and and then other places as well. I've heard him say it. Where you know he, he 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 keeps saying oh you know nobody knew who I was and then I get and then I get Pearl and then I go through the California airports so oh yeah. that's Pearl's coach so those those stories are just oh my goodness um, they're so good uh, what do you, if if I had told you Dana thirty years ago thirty five years ago whatever the case may be that Jim Beheim in 2022 would still be the head coach at Syracuse, (laughs) and Patrick Ewing would be the head coach at Georgetown, albeit in different conferences. But what what would you have said then if I told you that?
0: It's insane, right? I mean, if you think about it. um, Because... I mean, I guess in some ways, like back maybe 35 years ago, I wouldn't have been as surprised that Jim Beheim is still the coach because then people stuck around. But now that the world that we're living in, the fact that Jim Beheim is still sticking around, you know, is unbelievable. And as I'm sure people, you know, in your town well know, when he was hired, he was as green as they come. I mean, they got him for practically no money. He was an assistant coach to, you know, Roy Danforth and, and everyone else kind of wasn't sure if they should hire him even. And here he is all these years later as – you know, the, the grandfather of the Big Eats, even though he's no longer in it. I think people still will always associate him with the league. It's an amazing, amazing run if you think about how long he has been there. And, and yeah, Patrick, I mean, did we ever foresee Patrick Ewing as a coach? Heck no. I mean, you know, he did, if you ask him. He saw himself as a coach, and it made sense to him. But it's crazy to think that you know, these people who were such key players in the birth of the Big East are now still in college basketball all these years later.
1: It's mind-boggling. Go get the book uh, online where books are sold, and, of course, major bookstores. Uh, the author is with us here on ML Sports Platter, Dana O'Neill. It's called The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History. What program do you think in the Big East was the most underrated?
0: Wow. Good question.
1: Um, I think it's Seton I, Hall. I think it's Seton Hall.
0: I was going to say, yeah. it would either have to be Seton Hall or Providence. Um, and I and I still, honestly, to this day, I still think Seton Hall is kind of underrated, frankly. Um, you know, because Seton Hall, Seton Hall certainly had to come the, the furthest, probably, if, if you think about it. I mean, if you talk to Bill Raftery, as I did, and what they didn't have. I mean, the stories are just hilarious, what you know, how mom and pop and and basic Seton Hall was, even through when, you know, P.J. Carlisle got there and they were good. You know, Bruce Hamburger's P.J. old assistant talks about putting guys in vans to go down to like some crummy old gym to work out because there was nothing on campus. So nobody anticipated, you know, Seton Hall being very good. And then all of a sudden, here they come. And frankly, I still think sometimes people overlook Seton Hall. I love This year's team particularly, I mean, I just think they play really hard. I think I love the way Kevin Willard coaches them. But I still think when people talk about elite teams in the Big East, Villanova, of course, comes up, and now UConn comes up. And even then, it was always Villanova and UConn and Syracuse. People tend to skip over Seton Hall an awful lot.
1: You know, a lot of people skip over UConn, too. You know, in in the history of the Big East, I thought they didn't do them enough justice in the 30 for 30. Jim Calhoun in Connecticut won three national championships during – much of which, you know, they they were kind of forgotten through the years. I think. Why why isn't UConn up there? You know, they didn't have Ewing. They didn't have Pearl. Like you know, they didn't have Carmelo. Like why why didn't why hasn't UConn gotten the love? After all, winning three titles, they have more than all those other programs.
0: They do. That's it. It's an interesting story arc for, the, for that university. Um, You know, the, at the very beginning, nobody wanted UConn. Nobody saw UConn as being an, a reasonable team to add. You know, Dave Gavitt saw it, but they weren't you know very good. They were in the Yankee Conference. They weren't bad, but they weren't as good as the other ones, other programs. They're a big state university, not like everybody else, kind of stuck in the middle of nowhere in stores. And people really fought back on that. And he insisted that they could be something. And look, the most brilliant hire was hiring Jim Calhoun, who was like kind of chomping up the bit at Northeastern, like, yeah, I want to get in that league. <laughs> and what he did there is, Unbelievable, Unbelievable. I mean, considering yeah. what they came from, and you're right. I mean, I think you know, so so much of the early fabric of the league is built around St. John's and Syracuse, Georgetown, and Villanova. Right? Those four teams really just kind of—I don't know—they had these you know personal, these crazy coaches and these crazy moments within each other, um, and so UConn kind of came along a little bit later. But really, UConn carried the league for quite some time when those other schools were going through some tra- transitions with those coaches leaving and retiring, and everyone kind of trying to figure out how to keep it going. UConn carried the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no question that they did. They kept it as a national national prominence. So I, I give I put them right up there at the at the top of the of the sort of Mount Rushmore of programs that carried that league and have made it something. But now, of course, that they're back in it, it makes. So much sense, and it's added such legi- legitimacy to the league
1: again, yeah, and man, I mean that 98 ninety nine team with yep. Khalid Alamine and Hamilton yep. and Voskel and those guys Ricky Moore coming off the bench. I mean, they beat a Duke team that today I, I almost think they're the best runner up in the history of the sport I mean that they were <laughs> they were so good, and then you know you fast forward to three years later, I, I remember coming home from Saint Bonnie to to watch the East Regional at the Dome, and it was Maryland and Yukon in that elite yep. eight game. And, uh, you know, Karan Butler and that group, and they lost to Maryland, who eventually won the national championship. But UConn has had some unbelievable teams. One thing, Dana, in sports, in order to, to get to the top, you know, the NFL needs probably nothing. They're the only ones that doesn't need, you know, they, they don't need as much as, you know, the NBA or whatever. They're, they're the top dog. But usually there's something that just propels it. In the Big East case, obviously, we've talked about TV rivalries, all that sort of thing. But it helps a sport when you have two teams in that conference ending the year against each other. In 87, there were two teams in the Final Four from the Big East, three teams, excuse me. And then in 85, you had Mm -hmm. Georgetown and Villanova in one of the most important finals in the history of the sport. How important were those two years, in your opinion, as far as getting the Big East up to the top?
0: Uh, They were huge. And and people always forget, you know, they almost had four in 85. You know, Boston College, I believe, was right on the edge. So, you know, it's it's amazing um, because if you think, 1985, the league formed in 1979, six years, which is infancy. They have three teams in the final four. And two of them, Georgetown and St. John's, everyone thought had a chance to win the whole thing. And, you know, the third nobody thought did, Villanova. And, of course, you know, Villanova gets the storybook win, but that was the might of the league. And I think what people, what made the league so so vibrant was its ability to to kind of rise everyone's game up. You know, Providence, again, did not, was not great for until they kind of hired Rick Pitino and he figured out how to manipulate the three-point line. Right. But they got their moment. Seton Hall got their moment. Everybody kind of got their moment. And you know, that 85 game captures everyone's attention because of Villanova's quote, you know, Cinderella win, even though Villanova people will tell you that wasn't the case, but yeah, those games where you just have big East on big East on big East. It's like, wait a minute. Like, (laughs) This league's been around for five minutes, and they've got all these teams in the Final Four. It's, it's, you know, similar to again to to now when the Big East reformed, and Villanova goes out three years later and wins another, and wins a national championship, and then two years later wins another one. You're kind of like, all right, timeout. I guess this league is pretty good. That's what that's where the eyeballs happen. We all know people. Everyone pays attention to college basketball in March. So the more you do in March for your conference for your program, that's when everybody watches you.
1: Yeah, I stand corrected. 87 had two biggies teams, Syracuse, yeah, Providence. Syracuse
0: and, and, uh, Providence. Yeah, yep. that was
1: the the Billy Donovan, you know, Rick mm-hmm. Petino uh run and then three teams in the 85 final four. Just amazing. Pearl Washington Patrick Ewing. It it just didn't get bigger than those two guys in this respective conference. Where do you think Patrick Ewing's biggest impact was as a player and Pearl Washington's biggest impact?
0: Well, Patrick's biggest impact was the day he signed to go to Georgetown. Um, You know, he's a number one player in the country, recruited by everybody, and went out to UCLA. He could have gone anywhere he wanted to go. And the Big East was brand new. And John Thompson was not brand new, but pretty new at Georgetown, a high school coach taking over Georgetown. And the biggest thing that Patrick Ewing did is, as Mike Trangisi tells the story, the day he signed his letter of intent, John Thompson called Dave Gavitt and said, Hey, you know, we got him. And Gavitt hung up the phone and looked at Trangisi and said, okay, now we can go to New York. He knew that Patrick Ewing had the star power to attract a tournament in New York city. And putting that tournament in New York city, of course, Mm -hmm. changed everything. Cause it's like, it's New York. It's this event that it became. And that's, Not entirely because of Patrick Ewing, but that gave Gavitt the safety net to know he could sell tickets. And then Pearl Washington, I think where his biggest impact was, first of all, the way he played. I mean, it's like watching ballet. But he hung around after Patrick and Chris Mullen moved along, right? You could have had this sort of dearth of, of great players. And here's Pearl. You know, Pearl's still here <laughs> and he's every bit as impressive as they were in a completely different way. And he sells, you know, he makes the carrier dome a full house, which, you know, Jim Bangheim told me when they were moving to the dome, they were they were some nerves about whether how they're gonna fill this thing for basketball. And along comes Pearl, and there's no worries anymore. <laughs> you know you're gonna attract a fan base, right? Everybody wants to see what Pearl Washington's going to do. So those those two players, along with Chris Mullen, I mean, their impact, you, you can't underestimate it. We all talk about the coaches because they were such great fun and great personalities. But you can have all the sideline shows you want. If the product on the court isn't very good, nobody's going to care. And the product on the court was great because they had great players.
1: You know, one thing I always think about is – Guys way back when, Fab Five, Ewing, Pearl, Carmelo even. I mean, hey, Car- Carmelo's 20 years ago already. Um, <laughs> I know, right, God. You, it really is. I, You know, you think about some of the, the Grant Hills and those early 90s Duke teams. You think about, uh, gosh, David Thompson, Michael Jordan. I could go on and on. James Worthy, the Carolina group. Um, I think about today. Man. All of the you know revamped conferences, all of these teams that are in new places that it just is weird to see Rutgers in the Big Ten and creighton in the big east and I'm like huh and 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 also Dana, as you know, name image and likeness now a big thing, transfer portal, big thing let's fast forward and say that this conference is is happening right now it's it it would be literally the s e c of college basketball. What happens with all these guys? What direction do you think that these guys go, the coaches, et cetera? It'd be a different ballgame these days. And, oh, by the way, they don't stay in college for three, four years either.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's the biggest thing. They don't stay in college for four years. I mean, Patrick Ewing and all those guys stuck around. So you've got four years of Patrick, which not only is, you know, you get to see him grow up and become the dominant player, but if you're on the other side, you get to hate him for four years. And that's part of it. I mean, that's what people – that's when people got into the rivalries because the rivalries, yeah, at some level, you know, your rival is always because I went to school in Syracuse and therefore I hate Georgetown. But the rivalries were personal when the players stuck around, right? Like, I, I, you know, I don't like Patrick Ewing if I'm a Syracuse fan. So now I get to see him again and again and again. And these guys, you know, all of them stayed. I mean, they just, they stayed and you got to know them and you knew how good they were and how good they were going to make their programs and, and what they were going to do. And also, look, I mean, People were far more patient with coaches than than they are today. I mean, people. Some of the coaches. Heck, I mean, not even that long ago, people wanted Jay Wright fired in his first three years. You know, um, so that changes things too. Because it's the same thing. It's there's such a, a comfort, if you will, in knowing who's going to be on your team, and and you you know who's going to be on the other side. So it, it just makes it so much more flavorful. And I still contend, and I've said this for many years. The, the oldest teams still win. I mean, it hasn't really changed that much. A bunch of you know people come and go and transfer and all this, but the teams that win are the ones that have players that stick around and are old. I mean, Baylor last year was old. You know, Gonzaga, who lost them, was old. Villanova was old. Virginia was old. North Carolina that year was old. And those are the teams that are the best teams in in the country. So that really hasn't changed. We just sort of lose the old a little bit.
1: Everybody misses the Big East. They have their own reasons why. I remember this past summer, I was in Cooperstown for Derek Jeter's induction covering that. And I turned and I said, oh my God, there's Patrick Ewing. And then I went, wait a minute, what? He came in with Michael Jordan. And, you know, they're 10 feet away from me. And there is right there in front of me, I'm going... Good grief. Yeah, how big is Derek Jeter now? Because these two guys came to the induction with the Jordan brand and all that sort of thing. So I, I looked over at Patrick and I said, do you have a couple quick minutes? And he says, no. I said, okay. I said, well, that's okay. I'm from Syracuse anyway. I said, how about a picture? He goes, no, you can just take a picture of me from there. And I just joked and I said, by the way, I miss the Big East and he just gave me a little wink. What yeah. what, what makes you miss the Big East, you know, and, and, and do you think about it on a daily basis still when you're covering the game? Because I miss it so much, Dana.
0: Yeah, I'm. Well, I miss I miss the Big East tournament. I know it still goes on, but I miss the one that oh. we all remember in New York. I mean, I used to when I was working at you know ESPN before the, the Philadelphia Daily News. Every single year, I rose my hand. Yes, please, I'll cover that. Yes, please, I'll cover that. I mean, it's close to home. Yeah, but there wasn't going to be anything better. In fact, in my opinion, it was better than the first weekend of the NCAA tournament more often than not. You know, the games were always just insane. Something wild always happened. You know, I was there for Kemba Walker. I was there for Jerry McNamara. You know, I was there for six overtimes. I was there and Alan Ray got his eye poked out by Carl Krause. I mean, like, crazy stuff happens up there. Um, So, you know, and the atmosphere was just incredibly electric. Um, Every fan base... You know, a lot of I remember talking to fans back when I covered it. A lot of them chose to go to New York and, and essentially skip the first weekend of the NCAA tournament because they knew it was going to be better basketball. The games were more competitive. You know, a lot of times, the first weekend, especially if your team's good, it's not much fun. It's not, it's, you win, but not very gripping. I miss that. I, I miss, I mean, I've since covered the Big Ten and I've covered the ACC and I've covered the Big East and I've covered the SEC. I've covered all of them, frankly, every postseason tournament since then, and nothing nothing comes close to what that week was in New York. Nothing.
1: Final one for you in the minute I have left or so. What do you hope people say about this book when they get done with it?
0: I hope they're nostalgic like I was and they and they read it kind of in that vein. You know, I think I, I hope they appreciate how awesome and fun and colorful and flavorful it was. Um, you know, I, I miss all of that, too. We, have you know, look, money changes everything and, and people are afraid to be as, personable sometimes as they used to be because it could cost them a lot so i hope they appreciate just kind of how lucky we were to sit back and witness the birth of this great idea that dave gavitt had and and see it just blossom into something that wasn't just dominant but was so stinking entertaining
1: yeah no it's so well said this book captures the inside of a special time in biggie's basketball if you love the game This book is a must-read. That coming from Jim Calhoun, the Hall of Famer and former UConn men's basketball coach, multiple national title winner. And it's out, major bookstores, online where books are sold. The author is Dana O'Neill. Go get it. It's called The Big East, Inside the Most Entertaining and Influential Conference in College Basketball History. And you can obviously follow Dana on Twitter, at Dana O'Neill Writer, the terrific national college basketball insider, reporter, and writer uh, for The Athletic. Dana, this was amazing. I can't thank you enough for for coming on. You've been so nice to me through the years. I remember meeting you, I think, in Pittsburgh uh, in 2012 at the tournament. I ran into you in New York a couple times at the last two Big East tournaments when it was really the Big East. Uh, This was a treat. Congrats on the book, and hopefully I can catch up with you down the road.
0: Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it.
1: Unbelievable interview with Dana O'Neill. I'm Mike Lindsley, the ML Sports Platter, all over the major platforms, Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, and wherever you get podcasts. Please do leave feedback and a five-star review, and, of course, download and subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts on your smartphone device. We are brought to you by Liverpool Physical Therapy, Ken's Auto Detailing, and our great friends at Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare. Hey, If you're in and around Central New York, you want to bring your pup for a play day, I'll tell you what, my man Cooper loves it there. He has a ton of buddies, uh, and they've got a huge playground in the back. They do great work uh, with a local dog shelter as well. So make sure you get on over to Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare. It is on Route 11 in Cicero. Go see them on Instagram. Go see them on Facebook as well. Uh, They do awesome, awesome work. They have great pups, a staff that is top-notch as well and uh, B&R Bunkhouse Adoptables is the shelter they work with, and please do support them. Adopt, don't shop, and uh, it's just a great organization across the board. Tip of the cap, thank you as well to your State Farm agent, Matt Graham, and the Vince Aguera Consulting Group, as well as thank you, thank you, thank you sent out to the Swan and Whitaker families for their support of the program as well. Hit me on Twitter, at Sports. Big time thanks to Dana O'Neill. I'm Mike Lindsley, as I always tell you, Enjoy the games.